You are listening to an RPA production, where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, Real Paranormal Activity is proud to present Terry's Mysterious Moments. Good evening, and welcome to Terry's Mysterious Moments. I want to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the program. Now, on with tonight's show. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to episode number 44 of Terry's Mysterious Moments. For two days in 1944, Allied bombers rained destruction on the beaches of the Caroline Islands in the South Pacific. Operation Hailstone took place on the 17th and 18th of February, 1944. It was a massive Navy air and surface attack on Truck Lagoon. That's T-R-U-K, Truck Lagoon conducted as part of the Allies' offensive drive through the Pacific Ocean Theater during World War II. Prior to Hailstone, the Japanese Navy used truck as an anchorage for its combined fleet. The coral atoll surrounding Truck's islands created a safe harbor with very few ways of getting into the, the harbor and the Japanese fortified those few ways in with anti-aircraft guns and other equipment. The Allied estimates of truck's defenses and its role as a Japanese Navy stronghold led newspapers and military men to call it the Gibraltar of the Pacific or to compare it to Pearl Harbor. Its location in the Caroline Islands also made truck an ideal shipping hub for materiel moving from Japan's home islands down through the South Pacific mandate and into the southern resources area. By early 1944, truck was increasingly unsustainable as a forward base of operations for the Japanese Navy. The United States Army under General Douglas MacArthur had moved up through the South Pacific island hopping in order to retake the areas and they isolated Japanese strong points as part of Operation Cartwheel. The U.S. Navy under the command of Admiral Chester Nimitz had seized areas in the nearby Marshall Islands. As a result the Japanese Navy relocated its combined fleet headquarters or forward base rather to Palau and had begun clearing warships out of truck in advance of Hailstone. They wanted to get all their big ships out of the way to protect them. Nevertheless, the the attack on truck caught a large number of auxiliary and cargo ships in harbor, as well as some some warships. Between submarine, surface, and air attacks 
over hailstones two days, around 250 Japanese planes were destroyed. Approximately 40 ships, including two light cruisers, four destroyers, nine auxiliaries, and over two dozen cargo vessels were sunk. Considerable damage was inflicted on the lagoon's various island bases, including communication centers, supply dumps, and the submarine base. Truck remained effectively isolated for the remainder of the war, cut off and surrounded by the Allies and their island-hopping campaign. The Japanese occupied Micronesia, including the Caroline Islands, in 1914 and established Truck as a base as early as 1939. The lagoon was first built up to house the Japanese Navy's 4th Fleet, its South Seas Force. And after the outbreak of war with the United States, the 4th Fleet was put under the command of the Combined Fleet, which continued to use Truck as a forward operating base into 1944. In addition to anchorages for warships and port facilities for shipping running between the home islands in the southern resources area, five airstrips and a seaplane base were constructed at Truk, making it the only Japanese, the only major Japanese airbase within range of the Marshall Islands. Despite the impressions of Navy leaders and the American public concerning Truk's projected fortifications, the base was never significantly reinforced or protected against attack. In fact, the development of truck only began in concert and in hurried fashion in late 1943 when the airfields were extended and shore batteries were installed and other defensive measures taken against U.S. encroachment. <clears throat> because aircraft stationed at truck could potentially interfere with the upcoming invasion of Inuitak, and because Truk had recently served as a fiery point, I'm sorry, a ferry point for the resupply of aircraft to Rabaul, Admiral Raymond Spruance ordered Vice Admiral Mark A. Mitchers Task Force 58 to carry out strikes against the atoll. Three of TF-58's four carrier task groups were committed to the strikes. Their total strength consisted of five fleet carriers, which were Enterprise, Yorktown, Essex, Intrepid, and Bunker Hill, and four light carriers, the Bellow Wood, the Cabot, the Monterey, and the Calpins, embarking more than 500 planes. Supporting the carriers were a large fleet of seven battleships, and numerous cruisers, destroyers, submarines, and other support ships. The Japanese understood the weakness of their position at Truk, and the Navy had begun, had begun withdrawing fleet units from its anchorages as early as October of 1943. The effective abandonment of Truk as a forward operating base accelerated in the first week of February of 1944, following Japanese sightings of U.S. Marine PB-4Y-1 Liberator Reconnaissance Aircrafts sent out to reconnoiter the area. 
The three carrier task groups committed to Hailstone moved into position and began launching their first fighter sweep 90 minutes before daybreak on 17 February 1944. No Japanese air patrol was active at the time as the Navy's 22nd and 26th air flotillas were enjoying shore leave after weeks on high alert following the Liberator sightings. Similarly problematic for the Japanese, radar on truck was not capable of detecting low-flying planes, a weakness probably known and exploited by Allied intelligence organizations. Because of these factors, U.S. carrier aircraft achieved total surprise. The pilots, the Japanese pilots scrambled into their cockpits just minutes before Task Force 58 planes arrived over Eton, Param, Moen, and Dublon Islands. Though there were more than 300 Imperial Japanese Navy Air Service and Imperial Japanese Army Air Service planes present on truck at the first day of attacks, only about half of them were operational, compared with over 500 operational aircraft among the characters, I'm sorry, the carriers, they may have been carriers, uh, characters, but among the carriers of Task Force 58. U.S. Navy fighter pilots in their Grumman F-6F Hellcats, with the advantages of speed, altitude, and surprise, achieved a one-sided victory against Japanese Naval Air Force pilots flying the inferior Mitsubishi A6M-0. As many as 30 of the 80 Zeros sent up in response to the fighter suite were shot down, compared with four Hellcats reported lost. Only token aerial resistance was encountered for the rest of the morning, and almost no Japanese aircraft were present by the afternoon. Due to the lack of air cover or warning, many merchant ships were caught at anchor with only the island's anti-aircraft guns for defense against the U.S. carrier planes. Some vessels outside the lagoon already steaming toward Japan were attacked by U.S. submarines and sunk before they could make their escape. Still others, attempting to flee via the atoll's north pass, were bottled up by aerial attack and by Admiral Spruance's surface force, Task Group 50.9, which circumnavigated truck, bombarding shore positions and engaging enemy ships. Torpedo bomber and dive bomber squadrons from the carrier air groups, or CAGs, were responsible for the bulk of the damage inflicted on Japanese ground facilities. Early on the first day of Hailstone, a Grumman TBF Avenger torpedo bomber squadrons from the U.S. Enterprises Air Group 10 and U.S. Intrepid's Air Group 6 dropped fragmentation and incendiary bombs on runways at Etten Island as well as the seaplane base on Moen Island. Dozens of aircraft were damaged or destroyed, further blunting any possible response by the Japanese to the airstrikes. Subsequent joint attacks by dive bombers and Avenger torpedo bombers cratered runways and destroyed hangar facilities. Morning strikes were also launched against shipping targets in the lagoon. Lieutenant Commander and later Rear Admiral Adm James Rampage, I'm sorry, Ramage, they may have been on Rampage, uh, James D. Ramage, Commanding Officer of Dive Bombing Squadron 10, or VB-10, is credited with sinking the previously damaged merchant tanker 
Hoyo Maru. Lieutenant James E. Bridges and his crew in one of Intrepid's Torpedo Squadron 6 Avengers scored a direct hit on the ammunition ship Ayakoku Maru. The bomb blast set off a tremendous explosion, which immediately sank the ship and apparently engulfed the plane as well, killing all three men inside. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast. By the second and third anti-shipping strikes of the day, Carrier Group Action Reports listed the apparent enemy mission as escape. Those ships able to make for open sea steam for the North Pass exit from Lagoon while weathering repeated aerial attacks. One particular group of warships, Cruiser Katori, Auxiliary Cruiser Akagu, Akagi Maru, Destroyers Mayakazi, Nowaki, and Minesweeper Shonan Maru, was given special attention by carrier bombers. Multiple air groups attacked these ships, inflicting serious damage. Yorktown's dive and torpedo bombing squadrons together claimed two hits on Katori, as well as hits on another cruiser and multiple destroyers. Essex bombers claimed as many as five hits on a Katori-class cruiser as well, indicating that the ship was stopped dead in the water after the attack. At this point, reports reached Admiral Spruance concerning the group of warships fleeing through North Pass. The Admiral put himself in tactical command of Task Group 50.9, made up of four destroyers, two heavy cruisers, and the battleships U.S. Iowa and USS New Jersey, which he personally led in a surface engagement against the previously damaged Japanese ships. Spruance was so adamant on engaging in ship-to-ship combat that his carrier commander, Admiral Misher, ordered his air groups to stop attacking Katori and her companions. The battered Japanese ships did not stand much of a chance against the task group, though members of his staff saw Spruance's decision to engage in surface action when aircraft likely could have achieved similar results was needlessly reckless. Indeed, the Japanese destroyer, Mayakazi, managed to fire torpedoes at the battleship New Jersey during the engagement. Fortunately for Spruance, the torpedoes missed, and the battle ended with predictably one-sided results. The U.S. Navy surface combatants incurred virtually no damage. The Japanese Navy lost Mayakazi, Shonan Maru, Katori, and Akagi Maru. Destroyer Nowaki was the only Japanese ship from this group to escape. Retaliation for the day's strikes arrived late at night in the form of small groups of Japanese bomber probing the task group's, the task group's defenses roughly from 9 o'clock on 17 February to just minutes past midnight on 18 February, at least five groups of between one and three enemy planes attempted to sneak past screening ships to strike at the fleet carriers. One such plane, a Nakajima B-5N2 Kate bomber, 
managed to evade, evade night fighter planes protecting the U.S. task force and dropped its torpedo on task group 58.2. The torpedo struck Intrepid on the right rear side of the ship, damaging steering control and killing 11 sailors. Intrepid was forced to retire to the U.S. for repairs and did not return to combat until August of 44. Truck, like so many other Japanese bases, Japanese bases was left to wither on the vine without hope of resupply or reinforcement. Army forces which had arrived at the atoll before the U.S. attack put increasing strain on available foodstuffs and medical supplies. Dwindling ammunition even limited the ability of shore batteries to fend off intermittent attacks by Allied forces, including experimental raids by Boeing B-29 superfortresses and attacks by Allied carrier aircraft. Losses at truck were severe. Some 17,000 tons of stored fuel were destroyed by the strikes. Shipping losses totaled almost 200,000 tons, including precious resources in fleet oilers. This represents about one-tenth of total Japanese shipping losses between 1st of November 1943 and 30 June 1944. Moreover, the isolation of this whole area of operations by submarine and air attack began the effective severance of Japanese shipping lanes between Empire waters and critical fuel supplies to the south. The ultimate effect of such a disconnect was later seen during the Battle of Lady Gulf when Japanese Navy forces had to sortie separately from Japan and Lingo roads due to fuel constraints. The neutralization of truck and the seizure of Inuitak paved the way for the upcoming invasion of Saipan, which for the first time put U.S. land-based heavy bombers within range of the Japanese home islands. Renowned today as a tourist destination for divers interested in seeing the many shipwrecks left in the lagoon, many of which were caused by the Operation Hailstone Strikes. Now. Today, again, Truck is known as a tourist destination, but there's a little bit different story for people visiting Truck Lagoon now. And it has to do with ghosts. It has been said that if you go diving on the ships that were sunk at Truck, which is now called Chuk, C-H-U-U-K, um, not sure why the name change. I, I think it's just the way that they pronounce it, so it's something different. Anyway, you go diving in Truck Lagoon, and it is said that you can hear the ships, and you can hear machinery on the ships. You can hear trucks, uh, automobiles running under the water if you go diving down there. Um, for the longest time, the bodies of the Japanese people killed at truck were on the ships. But until the late 60s, these bodies stayed there. But then Japan started a repatriation of the bodies of those killed. And they started getting them out of the ships and taking them home to Japan so that 
they could be properly buried. There have been several ghost shows who have gone to truck, uh, well, two that I know of, have gone to truck and dived on the, the wreckage and been able to pick up audio of sounds of machinery and even some sounds of battle, I believe it is. And what kicked it all off was Jacques Cousteau made a 1969 film called Lagoon of Lost Ships where he went and explored the truck lagoon and that's what caused the attention of all the bodies being there in Japan going in to remove the bodies and give them for burial there are some bodies that remain at the bottom of the lagoon the wrecks are some of the wrecks are visible through the shallow clear water it says making it an accessible dive so it, it doesn't take a great lot of diving know-how to get to where these ships are although the wrecks themselves can be very dangerous um, one because of ragged edges and tangles of cable but because of old oil and fuel still leaking into the water and that stuff could possibly catch fire in the 90s the 1990s the lagoon up to the 1990s the lagoon was known as truck it is now called chuk and many of the maps show the same names now i have spoken before on haunted battleships haunted aircraft carriers haunted battlefields but this is the first one where we have sunken ships that are seemingly haunted uh, they have all kinds of stories coming out of truck about apparitions and again the sounds so if you're a world traveler you may want to go there and see what you can find do I believe that there could be hauntings there yeah anytime there's something that happens like that because that was that was basically just a, a pigeon shoot you know we just went in and and did as much damage as possible to those ships and some of them weren't even exactly warships so the ghosts of truck lagoon are there apparently the ghostly sounds of truck lagoon are there and people report it all the time and I would really like to be able to go there one time and see what I could hear well that's all I have for this week I, I know it's more information than story but I thought you might like to hear about it anyway uh, it's something that I've heard about for years but haven't done a lot of study into it until recently but um I hope you enjoyed the show. This is, uh, like I said, episode number 44. Uh, it's almost been a year now that I've been doing this. Thanks, Aaron, for the chance to do it. You can hear us, obviously, on Wednesdays. You can hear Aaron's uh, Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast, on Mondays. And you can listen to Aaron Frail's Aaron's Horror Show, I believe it's called, on Tuesdays. And then, of course, we're on Wednesdays. 
If you need to contact me, it's Terry's Mysterious Moments on Facebook or Terry's Mysterious Moments at gmail.com. I'd like to hear from you. I'd like to hear thoughts for stories, uh, ideas for shows, any stories you may have you want to tell me, and we can work out how to tell them on the air. Whatever you want to do. I thank you for listening. I thank you for being here whenever the show goes on. And I hope you come back next week. Thanks a lot and goodbye. credit card bill.